What's cracking, lovely people's Big Feed Up HQ podcast. If you're a new listener, dive on over to the Friday shows that I release. They're little kind of nutrition nuggets, lifestyle hacks that you can take into the weekend. And then on a Monday, I kind of have a longer form conversation with a guest. I bring people on to talk about their businesses, things they enjoy. And I've got an old friend called Alex on the show today. Alex is coming from the US as well, so I've got him out of his bed which is great because, uh, you know, it's always important to, to make sure he's doing something. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> jokes aside, Alex is a, a mental performance coach, consultant. He's based in New York. And, mate, I think it's just the best thing to do is let let everyone know what that entails. Welcome. Sure. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's not too early here. It's in New York, so it's only five hours from the UK, five hours difference. So it's not that early. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm fortunate in that sense. Um, yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to it. Cool, mate. Okay. Um, so in terms of where, in terms of where I kind of kicked off, uh, so I was a, a personal trainer in in London, where I met your fine self um, many moons ago. Uh, I started out. Um, well, actually, I started out in business performance straight after university, uh, corporate performance just outside of London, and swiftly realized that it wasn't really for me, and moved into personal training, moved to London, became a personal trainer when I was probably about 22, and was doing that for the best part of 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting piece in terms of how I got here, in terms of the mental performance stuff, because... Over time, what I started to realize, aside from my passion for fitness and health and that kind of stuff, the the chief blocks that I was seeing with people, with clients, uh, as a fitness professional, were largely mental. They were largely psychological issues that was going on. People rarely had uh, sort of physical deficiencies that wouldn't allow them to uh, achieve their goals, achieve their fitness goals, their, their health goals, largely the majority of the time, what it came down to was there was some mental blocks there. There was, uh, you know, some some issues with um, sticking to goals, keeping motivated, you know, that, that kind of thing. And that was true for the most part, whether it was athletes I was working with at the time or business professionals or whoever it was. The, the issues and some of the hang-ups seemed to be pretty similar and it was all stemming from from mindset issues, from mindset um, kind of blockages, really. Um, so that led me, where well, probably about three years ago now, I started to look into the more mental performance side of things. And that took me to Denver, Colorado, uh, where the, it was the master's program in sport and performance psychology. And that was really, from what I could understand at the time, and, and certainly having gone through the program, it was definitely one of the front runners in in the world for mental performance. You get a lot of applied work, um, so you get to work very, very hands-on with people, and that's what it was all about for me, and obviously still is, um, getting to work with people and figuring some of this stuff out. Mm. Oh, interesting. And then you've taken a role, um, do you you know, do you, do you consult work for yourself? Is it is it a company over in New York at the moment? What was the kind of uh, plan there? Was it something that you thought that, that kind of hub is is interesting there's a lot going on you think you can work with people mm. things are maybe a lot more well i don't want to say they're more multifactorial in the city compared to being out in the, in in um you know because i see colorado as being um you know our adventure mountains things like that so what was the kind of 
yeah, spot on. <laughs> yeah, what was what 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 was the kind of plan behind that, or was it simply, you know, you 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 qualified, studied, there was a role when you took it, and um, you're going for it. There's a few few bits, I suppose. Um, I wanted no no disrespect to Denver whatsoever. I loved loved Colorado, loved Denver, but it was quite quiet, and especially coming from London. Uh, my girlfriend and I really felt that we, we weren't done with the, the kind of hustle and bustle. So mm. we definitely wanted somewhere a bit, uh, a bit again, not to not Denver, but uh, a bit more vibrant to, to, to go to and to, uh, you know, figure some of this stuff out. She started a PhD here and got accepted to one of the programs and this is where she wanted to be. Uh. And so, yeah, it was, it was a combination of things, to be honest. I wanted to come to New York. It's a big, bustly city. There's lots of people here in terms of work. There's a lot of opportunities, lots of people to meet, lots of um, mm-hmm. very high achievers, whether that's athletes, business professionals, actors, comedians, you know, whatever it is. There's, there's a lot of that here. So it's, uh, it's felt like a good spot to be in. Cool. Yeah. So in terms of the actual work, yeah, I, I'm working with... I work with people remotely or, or physically, uh, individuals or teams. So yeah, it's, it's largely consulting work. Um, yeah, so that's, mm. that's my days are typically, um, obviously I've started to do a lot of this stuff now. My podcast is starting up later today, which I'm very excited about. But um, yeah, individual meetings with clients Great. and uh, the odd meeting with, with teams, but it's more individuals at the moment. Nice, decent. And then... Mate, it's something over here that it'd be interesting to see what you think of this term. But lifestyle medicine has has been taking a bit of a um a okay. kind of like uh how do I say people are people are using that term a little bit more. And basically, you know, you probably obviously still follow everything over here. But there's been a few there's been a few doctors, nutritionists that are kind of you just just use the word celebrity status now, but they're obviously still you know they're obviously still working with individuals, but they're kind of they're coining this, and it's around. You know, the nutrition is obviously my area that I work in, but obviously you've got physical activity, you've got sleep, and then you've got the kind of, um, you know, the mental side of things and the stress. And I think it's interesting that what you and I can look at today is the, the pillar around the, the mental performance, because obviously the nutrition side of things is so much out there and people can kind of pick up information, recipes, they can listen to things and do that. Again, physical activity, most people can go out and start cracking things, all the different classes and, and info that you can now, you can train off your phone. But I think, yeah, the, the Matthew Walker's obviously made sleep, you know, with his bestseller, that's, that's come to the masses ish but mate the mental you know mental performance side that's why i wanted to get you on because that that's the other pillar in this lifestyle medicine conversation and i and people Mm -hmm. there's there's no one there's no one really that's kind of stood up and been like look guys here's some tools and tactics um that you can Mm -hmm. you can really start diving into so maybe we try you know maybe we try and address some of those obviously i don't want you to give away all of your you know your kind of uh, your expertise because I know you know you're you know you're paid to do what you do but maybe we just hit some broad brushstrokes around um you know when people are busy they've got work they've got family they're trying to achieve things you know what what kind of patterns do you see and what kind of things do you address on a on a kind of macro level with what you do yeah absolutely I think it's I haven't actually heard that term before that's quite an interesting one uh, what was it lifestyle lifestyle medicine yeah so i basically lifestyle medicine okay interesting yeah before you yeah. I, I interviewed um, a, a chap called john sykes and he's he's a doctor in bristol and they've right. and they've basically started this uh, society of 
of, of lifestyle medicines. So he, he as a GP is now going around with a few, a few of the other kind of doctors and other professionals. And they've, they've taken on some additional nutrition training through a couple of other institutes. And they're trying to then push lifestyle medicine and information to medical schools, but then also put on conferences. So GPs, nutritionists, um, you know, mental performance coaches like yourself, we can all go and and we can and we can learn about the other pillars as they're calling it because obviously my day job's in food but then I want to keep up with the latest right. in terms of the mental performance I want to keep up with what the physical activity research is saying and and all of that so I think it's not happening yet I think in Oz and some of these other trendy places they actually have lifestyle medicine clinics but you know places right. like that you I think people like you and I will be hopefully working in places like that you know either either whatever if they are clinics or institutes or education services it's, it's going to happen yeah i think it's absolutely imperative i think it absolutely has to it's one of my biggest gripes and one of the things that you definitely see i think it's, it's easy to think that it's just in america for me at the moment because everything is is kind of under the microscope in it everything is so big it's quite easy to see but i think it's probably the same everywhere else and the, the gripe that I have is, you know, you, you know better than anyone, in professional teams especially, mm. you have your strength and conditioning coaches, you have your nutri- uh, performance nutritionists, obviously like yourself, um, and those are pretty, those are mainstays of professional performance. It's one of those, they're, they're you know, two arms of uh, a wider system that I think people recognize is absolutely imperative for me to perform better. I need to be strong, I need to be fast, I need to be fit, my nutrition needs to be on point, I need to be healthy, um, you know, it's, uh, my energy systems need to be working appropriately, that kind of thing. But, and this is changing, there are improvements happening, but comparatively fewer professional organizations have someone that deals with the mental side of performance, mm. which I think in 2018 is, is dreadful, I think that's awful. You know, the, the mental health of the players, not only at the time, but, you know, the players transitioning from, obviously, the, the American and the British system slightly different, but the players transitioning into the professional teams, okay, what's the psychology around that? What's the mental performance around that? What are you going to have to deal with? What are the, the, the blockages and perhaps sort of barriers that you're going to come up against? What can you expect? Mm. You know, and while you're in the, in the team, obviously, if you're, you know, been in the team for a couple of years, how do you how do you maintain that? How do you maintain appropriate levels of recovery? How do you maintain appropriate levels of, uh, you know, stress relief and all of this kind of stuff? You know, professional sport is a hugely stressful business, mm. especially if you're one of the athletes. You have, you know, tens of thousands of people coming to watch you every week. It's a lot of pressure, mm. you know, and you've got people vying for your spot, for your position, all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, on the back end of it, the players that are nearing the end of their career, most professional athletes, and this is most, I mean, it's, it's certainly not all, but most professional athletes are going to be retiring sort of maybe early to mid-30s. You've still got most of your life left. Mm. Okay, your identity has been wrapped up in being this athlete or this performer since you were probably about four or five years old. And now it's coming to an end. So what mm. do you do? You know, it's no wonder that, uh, you know, there's a, a huge amount of depression related to, uh, you know, retiring from sport. And even in sort of early 20s, 
athletes that either play at college or university mm. and that's the end of their sporting road well it's still an identity shift you know it's still something that needs to be dealt with in terms of mental health first and foremost but also mental performance mm. but uh, to come back to your point about what people can do I think there are two I tend to come at things from two two perspectives with people and it's the physical side of things the somatic kind of um, symptoms of stress and anxiety and what happens if those come up and what you can do to put yourself in the most effective position to perform because that's what it's really all about you know mm. I, I really don't think that a lot of performers and when I say performers I don't just mean athletes I mean business professionals I mean uh, comedians musicians actors nurses you know hairdressers most of life is a performance mm. right we, we step outside the front door and to some degree we're asked to perform and really what what i aim to do for people is to allow them to to i suppose as consistently as possible to bring their best self um and as i say some of that a lot of that comes down to two things it's the physical somatic side of things okay if i'm feeling anxious or i just want to put myself in the, the most effective place to perform how do I need to be physically? I think most people have a real, uh, um, often fearful, painful sense of what it feels like to be very anxious, right? Mm. I mean, how, what were you like um, before rugby matches and stuff like that, or before talks? Oh, I mean, yeah, 100%. It's one of those things where if, you, you know, if you're doing something for the first time, or yeah, if there's mm. something that's unknown, you know, there's 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 sides of it that you're always going to be slightly worried because you always think that um, the worst is going to happen, isn't it? So it's like when I when I step out and, and do talks and things, I remember one of the ones that didn't go well was because, yeah, I just I just got overwhelmed with with the, some of the people that were listening to me. I, I knew they knew more on the topic that I was talking about, whereas now I, I speak publicly to people that majority of the people in the room I feel don't. So I've, I'm more confident. But then is that another way of... Maybe I've just I've just done you know I've stood up and I've talked in front of people and I've taken pressure off myself but yeah before definitely before sports performance definitely before public speaking um, and then I felt the other side of things as well when I when last year when I got pneumonia and I was in hospital that that was interesting because uh, I'd never spent so much time on my own and and you know you fear for um, I don't know because I'd always been fit healthy happy. And you're lying in bed with a load of tubes in you, and you think like, my God, I'm going on, you know, I'm going under tomorrow. What's going to happen? And that that was that two weeks was, especially from my family and my girlfriend's point of view, they were like, I was a different person. But then that was maybe acute, you know, that's a very acute end scale. But like you said, people go through injuries and ailments, and then they need to go back to work or back to the sports field. So th- those 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 situations and 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 things definitely leave trauma and happen don't they so it's uh, mm-hmm. yeah it's 100 yeah. percent. it's all connected yeah absolutely and i think it's 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 a really interesting point that you you mentioned there that the first one you were speaking to a room that you know some of the people in the room what you felt anyway your your perception was that they were they knew more than you and that that raised your anxiety levels quite significantly so i think one of the things that I really hope for people is that in using some of the techniques that we discuss in sessions and, and on podcasts like this is that regardless of who's in the audience, no matter who it is, whether they have 20 years experience on you or whether they've just 
qualified from university or whatever it is, that you can perform consistently time after time after time, regardless of the environment. Mm. And I think a lot of the time, physically, that, that anxiety that you mentioned manifests itself in high heart rate. We get flushed in the face. We get slightly tense in our chest and our shoulders. One thing I always feel when I get anxious and nervous is my throat gets mm. tight, like really tight. And you can you can even hear I can even hear it in my own voice. It's it's a couple, it's, it's quite a weird thing. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a couple octaves higher than it normally would be. Yeah. You know, and that's with the constriction around the voice box, and that's that's all it is. And you know, it's, it's it's awful because it's such a snowball effect. So the second you start to feel that heart rate rise, the second you start to speak, and you're you're a little bit higher than you would be. Yeah. And yeah, it, that stuff plays into the anxiety, and you think, oh god, everyone's seeing me right now. Everyone's seeing me, you know, suffer with this. Um, so I think one of the first things you can do is start to deal with that somatic, that physical manifestation of the anxiety is, is a very basic focus on breath work. So when we get anxious, when we get very heightened like that, we, we, we're very much in the, what we call the sympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for our fight or flight response. That's why our muscles get tense. That's why we get flushed in the face. That's why the heart rate goes up because we're getting ready to either run away or to stand and fight, right? We don't need to be in that situation. You know, we're perceiving that there's risk in the environment. So those people in the audience on your first talk who you perceived knew more than you did, mm. that's a perceived risk for you, right? Mm. It's like, oh, I, I'm being socially um, and professionally judged here. Mm. This means something, you know? Um, so what you can do with that is whenever we start to take a longer exhale breath than inhale, our heart rate starts to drop and we engage the parasympathetic nervous system, which mm. is responsible for, you know, it relaxes us. It brings us into a more relaxed state. Mm. So typically what I'll do, you know, I, I suffered quite badly with pre-performance anxiety, with presentations, with speaking in public, that kind of thing. And one thing that I started to do throughout the, the program at the University of Denver was, was to really focus on breathing techniques, probably about two minutes before I would go on. Mm. So I, I would start off just, just, you know, just sitting there and I would take a roughly four second inhale and it would be around an eight second exhale. So it's roughly double, but the exhale needs to be, you know, at least a couple of seconds longer than the inhale. Mm -hmm. And what that starts to do is it slows the heart rate down it engages the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system and just starts to bring you into a bit more of a relaxed, calmer state. And what I tended to find personally and with people that I've worked with is the second you feel your body start to calm down a little bit, mm. the mind typically follows. And it's, it's almost a catch-22 kind of situation. Once your mind follows, then your body becomes even more relaxed and you know, so on and so forth. So... That's the very physical, very practical sense is literally two, three minutes beforehand, four second inhale, eight second exhale. It could be a three second inhale, six second exhale, something like that, um, just to bring that physical anxiety down. Mm. Um, so that's, I've, I've found that to be pretty effective with myself and, and with other people. Um, and really from the, from the more mental, cerebral, cognitive standpoint, a lot of it comes down to what you can notice. And people, this is a massive overgeneralization, and I apologize, but people typically come in two camps with this, this kind of work is, um, first of all, it's, it's a self-awareness piece. 
it's how much of what is going on right now in your own head, in your own body, how much of it can you notice? How much of it can you objectively kind of see mm. and notice? And in doing that, that's, that's the, the first step, really. Um, in terms of the, the two sides of, of where people, people typically sit with this kind of thing, on the one hand, a lot of people find huge, huge power and huge, huge effects in noticing alone. Because what noticing your emotions and your feelings allows you to do is disempower. So if you were sitting there at the front of the room before that very first uh, presentation, people in the audience you perceive to be, you know, absolute brain boxes. Okay, right, I'm noticing that I'm, I'm sensing there's a little bit of risk here. Okay, where's that coming from? Okay, well, there's people in the audience that I perceive know more than I do. Okay, I'm noticing myself see that. I'm noticing myself feel that. Putting a label on it is often the, for some people anyway, is often the most important thing and the most effective thing. Mm. Okay, I, I, you know, it's, it's an awareness of anxiety, but it's also a reframing of, I am not anxious, I am experiencing anxiety. Mm. And the second you make that distinction, you turn yourself from someone that blindly experiences this stuff and this stuff happens, you know, you know, you are the thing to some, you, you are the agent of the action. Mm. You know, I am creating this emotion right now. I am creating this feeling. Therefore I can distance myself from it and it can be over there. You know, sometimes a nice graphic for people is, okay, say, uh, what, what's one word that you would use to describe this emotion right now? Okay, anxiety, uh, that would be the word. Mm. Okay, right, so you, you can see the anxiety, you can see that it's something that's happening to you right now, what can we do? Okay, right, all I want you to do is sit there and imagine you've just, you're blowing up a balloon. You're going to pop the word anxiety into the balloon. You're going to tie the end of the balloon full of helium and you're just going to watch it float away. You watch that anxiety float away. So putting the word and the emotion into the balloon immediately, it sounds, it sounds perhaps quite silly sometimes, but it, it separates you from the emotion. Hmm. It distances you from the emotion and the feeling. And the visual of it floating away just, you know, it further kind of emphasizes the distance that you can put between yourself and your emotions, your feelings, just by noticing it. Mm -hmm. So I think that that piece of self-awareness is absolutely enormous. It's okay. And this is something that you would typically do in conjunction with the breathing is while you're doing that breathing, slowing the heart rate down, what am I noticing about what's going on right now? What am I feeling in this moment? Okay, right and shifting the words around. Language is, is everything in my mind, absolutely everything. It's the, the way you construct things, the difference between saying, I'm anxious and I'm feeling anxiety makes a world of difference because mm. it entirely separates and disempowers the emotion and, and puts distance between you and the, and the thought, really. Mm. No, definitely. It, mate, it's interesting what techniques and things you can do and the one with the balloon, I think, yeah, it's 
that's a really good example because people can imagine that and like you said even though it seems quite simple and quite silly it's things that are often easy to to do and then obviously you can refine it and you can personalize it like with me with me now when i do, when i stand up and do public speaking um like i did on on tuesday i kind of uh, almost flip it around to be like right you know this is your time to you have 30 minutes here everyone's extremely busy some are flying back to where they live in a different country in the evening they you know at the end of the day everyone has so much to do with work with family with their own health with um you know maybe there's some other people in the room they're going to be presenting after that they're probably thinking about it so what can i give these people to take away that they can remember and it's almost like a challenge so i think right the majority of it they're not going to remember but here are a couple of points that i know will really shake the audience up and and i can tell that that might have uh, worked because people might scribble notes or they start nodding and right, then right. the other thing when i present or when i speak to people in consultations is i try to get them to laugh and it's one of those things where i do that with all of them and it quite you know it's quite serious stuff sometimes because you think you know you're talking to people and especially if you've got blood results and things in front of them you know you don't want to make a joke about stuff but in presentations it's like right okay let's go into nutrition and human nutrition but then how can i make people laugh but not be not be rude about the kind of industry but a few other things and and yeah it's that what can they take away how can i make them laugh a little bit and um you know keep 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 them engaged because you watch these ted talks Mm. or anyone who's fantastic and you know at Mm. the end of the day if you grease the groove and you're used to a three or four hour podcast great but most people like you said they're you know they're, they're, they're thinking about so many things or they're not noticing things or they they right. you know it's uh it, that that's how i if if i give an example to everyone listening that's how i've kind of converted it into being like right i've got to speak right. to these people i'm really worried to actually um it's 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 my choice to try to give them something plus let's mm-hmm. make them laugh and let's make them see that you know nutrition is just one aspect of what people are doing they don't need to take it too seriously and it's just information right yeah i think that's absolutely huge the, the laughter especially i think is enormous because it's you know, I mean, laughter releases uh, so many positive chemicals and all of this stuff about the, at the end of the day is about connecting with people, right? And I think that's a, what a lot of the, um, where a lot of the struggles come from in terms of presenting in front of groups of people is we see it as a presentation rather than an opportunity to, to connect. And I think that's such an important point. And you, you said it right there is, what can I, 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 what can I offer these people? What value can I give to these people? So in my mind, what that, that kind of relates to is a shift from an internal to an external dialogue Mm. uh, or or an external focus rather. So in that first one, when you experience the anxiety, it was all internal, right? It's like, Oh, these people know more than I do. So it's a self judgment. Really? Mm. I know less than they do. Um, whereas what it sounds like now is you've almost naturally shifted towards an external point of focus you know when people get anxious where does the thought where do the thoughts typically go it's okay well um you know the person that goes on before them might be really good and that's what they might be saying is the issue oh they were really good but it comes down to how do i follow that Mm. it's 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 a it's a self-judgment of i am deficient in some way and then the anxiety goes, and oh, now my heart rate's high, oh, my chest is tight, oh, I'm feeling more anxious, me, 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 me. Mm. And that makes total sense. I mean, it's, it makes absolute sense. But I think something I've found worked really, really well for me, and clearly you have 
for, for yourself as well is shifting it from an internal point of focus to an external point of focus. Mm. So your two big go-tos for presenting now are how can I offer a few pieces of information that they can take away, they're busy people, that they can take away is going to shift how they see things. Mm. What can I offer them? What value can I give to them? And secondly, how can I make them laugh? So none of this is about you. It's about what can I, you're almost a vessel through which this stuff is going to get communicated to the audience, you know. So you're shifting your point of focus from internal where it, it tends to manifest as anxiety, um, well, it tends to, not all the time, um, to an external focus where it's like, okay, you are my focus, you, the audience, are my focus. What can I give to you? Which is why you know, I mentioned in a, a short video recently and something I've spoken to quite a few people about is, you know, when you're standing up there, there's always people in the front row, okay? And typically in, a, in, an, in an audience, in a, in a presentation, unless you walk into the room at the very last minute and that's the only seat left, people sit in the front row because they, they, they're, they're okay with interaction. They're okay with engagement. They don't mind being right at the front. Mm. You know, and, and you know, you can use those people. Just have a chat with them, make a little joke about stuff and you know, divert the attention from an internal focus to an external one. And just mm. and yeah, I did that. We had uh, at the end of the, the Denver degree, we had this big capstone presentation, you know, sort of forty, fifty people in the room and, and thank you know, I don't know why they do it on purpose to, to terrify us, but all of the instructors sit in the very front row. You know, these people that work with professional teams and Olympic uh, you know, Olympic organizations and, you know, you get to know them obviously pretty well over two years, but it's still relatively daunting. Um, but you just talk to them. You know, you're talking to a room full of people. Mm. Now, I heard recently a really good piece of advice for, for presenting was just talk to one person at a time. Can you speak to one person? Uh, yeah, yeah, I could do that. Okay, speak to one person. Okay, well, and then two minutes later, you speak to another one person. So even if it's a room full of 10,000 people, you're still speaking to one person at a time. Mm. You know, I think that's really, I think that's a really cool kind of reframe or reshift of, of particularly with the performance stuff. But I think what you alluded to that, that internal shift from well, the shift from an internal focus to an external focus is absolutely huge and has worked for me. It's worked for a lot of people. So yeah, that, that, that's a really, really important thing, I think. Mm. No, definitely. I think if it's people listen to this and, you know, presenting isn't part of what they do, but they might be involved in, you know, a team and, and, and they're needed to do something and, you know, they might not be hitting a deadline or, you know, they've got other demanding people around them. I think it's it's that kind of similar flipping it around to be like, right, I'm here because, you know, I add value or, you know, I need to take take control of this situation and, and you know, kind of lay out my terms and not kind of get get uh, I don't know not not intimidated but just get kind of told what to do I'm clearly here because they want something from me they know I can produce something that's 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 useful so it's kind of it's just a process and things isn't it and it's um yeah yeah it's all interesting and I, but I think the key takeaways for you there from you sorry for the listeners are that you know that that you can you can work on some some breath stuff you can also you know you can picture different things of people in front of you and you can you know like you said you can 
you can use language even if it's in your mind or if you say it out loud and I think that was the perfect statement you know I am experiencing anxiety rather than I am anxious that's you know I think that's the mm-hmm. great that's the great takeaway from today 100 percent mm-hmm. yeah I think it's it's part of my you alluded to it just there is part of my hopes with working with people in this kind of stuff and really kind of getting out there with the podcasting videos, all that kind of stuff is, I think typically as human beings, we get into the thought process that if something is uncomfortable, that it means I'm not good at it. And I think that is understandable, but I think it's something that we can really start to shift is, you know, when I first started presenting, and it sounds like from your experience as well, it was a really uncomfortable experience and it was horrible. It was, it was absolutely, mm. I just wanted the grand to absolutely swallow me up and, you know, to never do it again. And I think this is a key distinction. It's just because something is uncomfortable, just because you fail at something the first time or you have a really bad experience, it doesn't mean that it takes it out of your realm of possibility. And I think a lot of this mental skills work, this mental performance work, more than perhaps anything else, just opens up a huge world of possibility for people. If we have these very small little um, techniques and tactics and strategies for mm. for overcoming some of this stuff, it opens up a whole world of possibility for things you can approach and things you can try out and you can experiment, you know, and 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 really try and find what your your kind of genuine path is in life. And if my hopes are that if, if some of these strategies, some of these techniques can do that, then, you know, people are going to find their, uh, whether it's their job or you know, profession or sport or, or whatever it is that really gels with them. I think really, from in my mind, that makes, you know, the happier people are in their work and in, uh, you know, more fulfilled they feel, then that's a pretty good thing. Mm. Mate, 100%. And you alluded a little bit to some of your videos. So... If, if people want to look look you up after the show, I'll, I'll put things in, in the show notes. You know, what's the best what's the best way to people keep in touch with you or see what you're doing? You're doing these these Instagram videos, you're doing your own mm. podcast. Yeah, so the, the, the Instagram videos, are they're just real kind of little one-minute snippets right now, but I'm, I'm actually filming the first IGTV video today. Um, I'm a bit late to the party with this kind of stuff but I'm, I'm trying to trying to make my way um so instagram is probably the best way alexander underscore easby twitter as well same uh same name and the my website the uh, my mental edge is going to be up in the next couple of weeks that's going to be podcasts videos blog posts not just by me but from a lot of my uh peers and and, and prof- fellow professionals and stuff as well so to get a real wide array of opinion and and Mm. experience in one place just somewhere people can go to use as a resource and to really kind of try some of this stuff out see what works see what doesn't um because really you know even the stuff we've spoken about today it might work for some people it Mm. might not for others so i think just trying these things is is the first step try and be consistent with them and if they work for you great if they don't let's try some other stuff Mm. yeah Mate, 100%. It's good. It's good. Like I said at the start of the show, it's good for people that are listening now to to have you as a bit of a resource because, like I said, as this lifestyle medicine and, and approach kind of um, starts to really build, you know, mm-hmm. people look people know and follow a lot of a lot of nutritionists. People know where to get their exercise information and stuff from, like loosely, and mm-hmm. and and sleep. And I think it's it's interesting now that people are going to get a bit more of a point of call for for 
people like yourself and, and institutes and other forms of information for, for mental performance. So, mate, it's absolutely awesome. Mm. Thanks so much. I'll, um, no, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Mate, I look forward to coming on your show. And then, guys, yeah, I'll link to yeah. everything that Alex has, 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 has spoken about. Like he said, he's going to be doing his own pod. And, um, no, it's, it's, it's really good. And I think it's just watching this space really i'd love to have you back on mate and we can you know we can maybe have a very kind of more strategic this is more of an introduction and uh you know what you're doing and obviously we haven't spoken in ages either so it's good to catch up (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah for sure yeah anytime buddy anytime nice all right guys as always yeah just share the show if you really like it i think this is going to be an interesting one for a lot of people so if you listen and, and you haven't reached out and shown some of your friends or people that you know or or love or live with then let them know always if you can leave a comment or um also just subscribe you can subscribe on itunes or soundcloud and um yeah i'm enjoying the format of releasing releasing some on a, on a friday and on a monday so similar to similar to alex i'm um you know i'm getting my act together and starting to make this more a little a little bit more consistent and um yeah keen to get to to 10,000 listens and i'm and i'm on oh, almost 6,000 now which is absolutely fantastic so As always, cheers for your support, guys, and we'll speak soon.